Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. In this episode, we chat with AP Capaldo Allen. AP grew up in Miami, Florida, and is currently based in Parkland, Florida, where she spends time with her husband and two young children. AP serves as Assistant General Counsel at TD Cinex, one of the world's largest distributors of technology products. Previously, AP served as Director of Ethics and Compliance for TechData, an Associate General Counsel of Global Ethics and Compliance at Laureate Education. AP received her law degree from the University of Notre Dame Law School and completed her undergraduate studies in English literature at Florida International University. AP is a Supreme Court of Indiana CLEO Fellow and served as Secretary of the Hispanic Law Students Association and Academic Chair of the Black Law Students Association at Notre Dame. She was a visiting scholar at the University of Bocconi School of Law in Milan, Italy, and worked at the St. Joseph County's Public Defender's Office in South Bend, Indiana. As you can imagine, with that background, there was a lot to unpack about AP's journey. We discuss a variety of topics, including mentorship, how to pick your boss, and the best attributes of an executive. It was an honor to have AP join the pod, and I hope you enjoy. Super excited to welcome AP Capaldo Allen to the podcast today. AP, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Clay. Pumped to have you here. We work for the same company, uh, but we are obviously here in a personal capacity to kind of share our views and go through your growth journey and uh, with the idea of, you know, someone listening out there that's going to be able to uh, be inspired along the way. And your journey is a fun one of the little that I know about it based on some articles that have been written about you and others that I've talked to in our company about who you are and what you're all about. So very excited to have you here. We're going to start by getting to know you a little bit, and I've got some kind of silly get to know you questions to start with. So let's imagine that you're about to go on a road trip. You're hopping in the car, you're going to be a passenger, and you all stop at a gas station, fully stocked, and you're going to get one drink and one (laughs) snack. What are you grabbing? I am grabbing a Red Bull. This is what I live off of. Um, I'm probably, yeah, I'm grabbing a Red Bull and then a snack. Oh man, that, this is such a diff- How did you start with the hardest question ever? I guess probably a cookie. I like cookies. So what kind of cookie? and some cookies. I don't know. Probably chocolate chip. Yeah. I'm pretty basic. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Red Bull and chocolate chip cookies. Just give me yeah, all this. This is like, yeah, breakfast of champions. <laughs> I asked that question of, a, of someone this past weekend, actually, and she said a white bull. Do you know what a white bull is? A white bull? No. Is this? Is it? Is it like in the Red Bull family? It is in the Red Bull family, and I don't know if she made up the name white bull, but it's coconut flavored. Oh, interesting. Yeah, huh. I haven't heard of it. Me neither. Well, something I've been trying to kick it for a long time, um, but not yet. Not yet. I'm not ready yet. <laughs> All right. Would you rather spend the night in a luxury hotel room or 
camping surrounded by beautiful scenery? I mean, who who doesn't answer hotel is what I want to know because I hate the outdoors, hate bugs, hate everything. I wouldn't even go glamping. Like definitely the hotel. That's not even a question. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a question. I want right. no nature. <laughs> <laughs> would you would you rather have an unlimited gift certificate to a restaurant or to a clothing store? Definitely a clothing store. What store? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Something general like Nordstrom or Neiman Marcus. Okay. All right. I'm definitely going restaurant. Literally really? But you oh, can yeah, buy food. You can buy food at some of these stores. So then <laughs> that's, that's you're true. maximizing your potential, your range, your acquisition power is different. It's broader. That's, that's a good that's a good thought. See. I need to although I need to understand what these stores are offering though. But they're consistent, whereas the delivery at a restaurant is inconsistent. And then you're stuck with the unlimited budget at the inconsistent restaurant. That's true. But I already have all the clothes that I personally need. Yeah. No, that's fair. And I don't have all the food I need. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> all right. Last one. If you could live in one country that you have never lived in, what country would you live in? Norway. That was instant. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like the one that got away. I think about it all the time. I had a cousin that lived in Norway. So I, 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 I visited there and just now, especially as a parent, you know, I've, 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 he's actually in Finland now. So that would be my next answer just to try it. Cause I've seen his journey as a young parent and it's been so different from mine, even professionally because the culture is so different and it's just such a different lifestyle. So that's the one place I'd want to live that I haven't already. And where have you lived? So I spent some time in Italy during law school. So I kind of got a flavor for what that looked like. By the um, way, that's my answer. Yeah. So yeah. And I, I have a lot of thoughts on living in Italy, but um, living in Italy at that time was great. Living in Italy now as a, as a parent and as a professional, I would, you know, there, it's just a different experience, but um, I've also lived in the Midwest, um, really loved it there too. I've lived in Tampa, obviously. And then, um, you know, obviously now I'm in South Florida, but, but, you know, kind of anywhere in the Scandinavian countries is always like, to me, like the one thing I've always wanted to like, what's it like and experience living there. So We'll see if it ever happens. Unlikely, but it's still interesting. And and I interrupted you. So you've lived, you're in the U.S. now. You've lived in Italy. Where else have you lived? I was born, you know, in Venezuela, actually. Um, I came here when I was to the U.S. when I was three months old. So I don't think I ever technically really lived there, but, um, but was there for, you know, three months of my, of my life, I suppose, when I was born. So, yeah, I mean, just very, very much a Miami based person, but I have spent time, you know, in other places during very formative periods of my life. So, so yeah. My understanding is you were a singer back in the day. Yes. My gosh. Yes, I am. That is becoming further and further, uh, even more of a distant memory as as every year that goes by. But yes, I used to sing, actually had every intention out of high school um, on training professionally to become an opera singer. And um, that was really my goal in life. And, uh, and I ended up obviously pursuing a completely different path, but you know, Lawyers also like the sound of their own voice, so it, it worked out. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I don't sing in the same way anymore. But, yeah, it was a huge you part of it. You still got it, though? You still got it. I think so, in a different way. You know, classical training is much like athletic training where you need to, you know, it's, there's conditioning and there's a lot of just technique that goes into it. And so you kind of lose it over the years. But, yeah, I think I still got it. I'm not, I'm not tone deaf by any, by any means. So I think there's something there. 
Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, maybe we'll get a recording and we can like you know, <laughs> yeah. get our intro for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll sing your jingle for you, your intro I jingle. Love it. I love yeah. it. It could be the whole new jingle for the whole pod. You yeah, know, for the guests, pod. Yep. In- introduced by AP. It's yep. Perfect. Love it. All right. So uh, I ask every guest these two questions and you're going to be no different. So first, I'm all about personal growth and probably why a lot of the listeners are here is to, to grow in some way themselves and to learn from guests like you. So I'm, there, there's a concept called a growth mindset. Carol Dweck really brought it home in her book. I'm curious how you would define a growth mindset. Probably differently to how it's defined, but you know, for me, it's always really my two goals ultimately are always to kind of keep an, an open mind and keep an open heart. And I think I'm pretty good at living with an open heart. You know, an open mind is always something I challenge myself with. Um, but that's how I grow. You know, it, it, it's, it's again, like just being open to things. Um, I think there isn't enough openness in this world. And so whether it's open to new opportunities, to new places, to new people, I think that's how you grow is, you know, and it's funny, my maid of honor at my wedding said this, but she called me a collector of interesting people. You know, and I, I, she couldn't have described me better because if you know me, that's like my thing is like, I know someone that does just about everything. And I truly know them. Like I keep in touch with people and I really pride myself on that and, and getting to know people as people, not as what can they do for you, but as just human beings. And I think that openness is what allows me to grow. Um, and when I'm not open is when my growth stalls. And so that's kind of what I always, that's the mantra that I live by. And that's what it means to me. Yeah. And that's why I love to hear every guest has a little bit different of a twist and how they interpret that. And that's the first time someone's ever talked about it in you know, open mind, open heart. Yeah. And really cool that I, I feel like that's a big compliment to be a collector of interesting people. In, yeah, I in think so too. A collector can, can have a negative connotation. But I obviously sure. that is sure. that is far from the truth for how sure, sure. She might have said the word curator, but you know, whatever the case may be, like I I, I see that as a, a life well lived is to have like a tapestry of experience and a tapestry of relationships. And yeah, so that you know, I think every I, I definitely think everything and everyone comes into your life for a reason. And 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 the more you focus on relationships, I think the more success comes just you know, at least in my experience, that's how it's been. I've been very focused on people, relationships, experiences, and sort of success has followed that. It wasn't necessarily that I went after like a specific job or a specific project, but I just was open to, you know, to people receptive. Right. And, and that's what has brought me opportunity. The other question I ask guests is to define their why or their purpose in life. So AP, how would you define yours? My why, my purpose. Oh man. Well, going back to the people, um, I'd like to think that I, you know how people say like you left a place better than you found it. I feel that way about people. Like, you know, like at my eulogy, that's what I want. I would want people to say is like, they knew me and they knew me for the better. You know, I knew AP and I knew her for the better. Somehow it left, it, it left a positive imprint on my life. I truly believe influence and, you know, um, like generational legacy is not based on things, but based on, you know, impressions people leave or, or the seeds that you sort of, um, the seeds that you plant can be generational, can have a generational legacy or generational impact. And so, you know, for good or for bad, right. We talk about breaking cycles in, in negative contexts. And so I think the same way in positivity. So 
for me, that's like my goal and how I live my life is like, am I, am I making this, is, am I leaving this person better than I found them? Um, and that, that's kind of what I try to do. I'm not perfect, but I do try to give people a positive experience in their interactions with me. And, you know, yeah. I, I feel that way as a parent now and as a friend and as a, you know, as a, as a daughter, mother, everything. So AP, it's exactly what I wrote down right when you started talking, it was leave people better than I found them. That's your yeah. why. And yeah. that's so cool. I think that's, yeah. that's such a, such a cool purpose and a, and a why for how you live your life. And I, I'm curious, where does this love of other people and cur- it's, it's almost a curiosity of, of other people. Where do you think that comes from? I don't know. I am definitely a people person. My mom says, you know, both my parents always say that, like, I just liked people at an early age. I'm very social. I'm very curious. That's a good word for it. Um, Like people intrigue me. I'm interested in people. I'm I like to hear stories, storytelling. Um, I don't know where it comes from. You know, um, if you're into horoscopes, you'd probably say it's because I'm a Virgo. So I like details. But Um, but you know, I've always really been as a little kid, not so much anymore, but as a little kid was super focused on the why of things like, but why does this happen or how does this happen? And I think maybe the people is the same way, right? Like why is someone reacting a certain way? Well, here's probably why. And so, um, you know, if I have a a meeting that's particularly challenging and, or something that's frustrating, I typically try to think like, why, like, why, why is this person, why am I experiencing this person in this way? Why am I, why, like, why aren't they receiving what I'm saying in the way that I, and it's, I try to remind myself, it's like, not about me. There's a story there. Like this person had a bad day or this person has had numerous calls on this issue and is very frustrated. And so, um, the why has served me well in my life. And I think getting to know people is the answer to the why typically. Um, and the other thing is that I was like, and this is like probably so attenuated and and not like connected to your question, but growing up, I was a voracious reader. I loved to read and reading, you know, books are like people. It's like a little world that forms between two covers. Right. And when you finish the book, it's like, you miss the person, you miss the book. And I think people are that way too. They have a cover, they have a, you know, they cover to cover, you can understand people and you can unpack people and they're a little world. Every person's like a little island or a little world unto themselves. And so anyway, I th- I'm just like super interested in that. I think it's such a cool idea. And again, I didn't become a psychologist. Like I don't, I don't necessarily, it's not like the inner workings of the mind sort of stuff. It's more just like, what's your story? What kind of a life have you led? What brought you here? Like, I love that much like you are doing this because you're interested in other people and their stories. Like I feel the same way. I just haven't gotten it together to create a podcast, but, um, but I think I love that. I love that. And I love that. And I think that's what brings all of us joy. We don't have enough connection in this world. We don't have enough um, love for the other person. And I think that's what makes this world beautiful. That's what makes this country beautiful. And so I love people. I love their stories. And, you know, I hope I, that was a very long winded answer, but you can it's, cut a lot of it it's, out. <laughs> it's fantastic because I was, um, I was thinking of my son who my oldest son, who's seven, I have three boys and he's seven and he has developed this just voracious love of reading. He just absolutely loves it. He is all about it so much so that we were at the beach recently and he was reading at the beach and then we were like, all right, we got to go back. Yeah. And he was walking off the beach, reading his book. He couldn't put it down. And I just look, I was so proud of him and I could also completely empathize. I've been in that moment where I just can't put a book down and I want to know what the next page says. And I'm so 
involved in that world that you spoke of in between those covers and that you would miss them if you, you know, if you put it, put it back together. Yeah. You have to leave this world and yes, everything you're saying, and he'll probably be grow up to be a very interesting person, but you know, um, yeah, reading kind of transports you. It lets you be in a different place. It's a, it also gives you a skill that you wouldn't otherwise have. And I think it's it, it's crazy how transferable so much of reading is, like in terms of problem solving, um, opening up your horizons in ways that like maybe you can't travel everywhere, but you can read about being somewhere and, and suddenly you have traveled there. And so, yeah, I was that kid. I was that kid that was like, there was a party and I was like reading in the corner and um, that was me, you know? And so I, I, it's a, I have a soft spot for that, for sure. You've been talking about journeys and getting to know people, and that's exactly what we're going to do here with you. You are the subject of that, mm-hmm. and we've heard a little bit about your journey. We kind of know a little bit about what's happened early in life. So I want to fast forward to high school time frame. So I'm curious, what group in high school were you a part of, and how did it influence who you are today? The chorus nerds, obviously. I was in. I, I went to a special like magnet school for the arts, and I was in chorus, and I hung out with all the choir people. And sort of like the underground intellectuals and very, very eclectic, very eclectic group of people, like random people. Um, and I am still very good friends with quite a few of my high school friends. So it's kind of funny in that sense. Um, and I've seen them grow up and become like adults and people that do different things and have careers. So it's been really interesting. But um, how has it influenced you today? Oh, enormously. Um, and I'm super passionate about um, education and the arts because I'm not shy at all. Um, I can, and I routinely have to present in front of tons of people, um, whether it's at work, whether it's at a conference, routinely have had to speak in front of hundreds of people and I don't bat an eyelash. And it's crazy because normal people would be nervous and like, I got adrenaline or whatever. I'm never afraid to do that. Like I'm very comfortable sort of being exposed in that sense. And I I think that a hundred percent comes directly from kind of being, having had like a perform, you know, performance background and having had to do it as, at a young age, you just kind of get comfortable being exposed. And the other thing that it's been huge for is um, it really quashes your fear of failure early on because you're constantly failing. You're constantly not making it to an audition or you're constantly underperforming a specific piece or whatever it is. And you kind of get to the point where you're just like, got to get it back up on the horse again. And like you do that at such an early age when you learn not to have a fear of failure at an early age. It really is. It's so helpful to you later in life because then, you you know, failures hit you a little less hard down the road and you know that you'll get back up and you'll recover and there will be future successes. So I'm not going to say that failure isn't still difficult and isn't it's, it's not still a tough thing to work through, but it desensitizes you to the fear of failure that that kind of paralyzes you from being able to take on an opportunity, right? So for me, I think those were the two biggest things is just being able to like be good in public situations and performing, you know, consistently at a certain level and not being afraid of failure. I wish that we invested more in music education because I don't think people realize that that, that that's foundational for those things, for those skills. I've never thought of it that way. Probably the high school group I was a part of was like just kind of the middle. Like I kind of just weaved in between all the different groups, right? I was, you know, I was a kind of an athlete, but like I hung out with people that were in the arts. I, you know, I wasn't super popular, but I wasn't not popular. It was just kind of in the middle. So I kind of got to see a little bit of everything, but I never saw, 
I've never thought about the arts in that way is that because I talk to my boys all the time about failure and how, mm-hmm. how much I love that they fail mm-hmm. and they finally are starting to get it yeah. right? Like, because it's, it's how you learn. And, resilience. It's how you build resilience. Yeah, exactly. And, and, um, oh, that's so fascinating to think about it from that perspective. I really like that. So th- this confidence that you've built in yourself, in being okay, being looked at differently. And it's like, I don't care. I, I know I'm yeah. growing. And Just I'm like a shamelessness in a good way. Like, like this is what I'm selling. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Cause there's a market for everything. And that feeling of like, I honestly just don't care if you don't like me because I know other people might think I sound great. So no problem. Or maybe I had a bad day, but I'll be great tomorrow. And so, you know, it builds all those things, grit, self-awareness, um, again, fear of failure, um, losing that sort of inhibition around, I'm embarrassed about, I've never been embarrassed. I'm sure I will embarrass my children because of how little I am embarrassed about anything. And so you have this confidence because of your background and you exit law school as a lawyer, you go into corporate America and now you're a young lawyer. So how did this confidence help you in that scenario? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for sure, just not being intimidated, you know, you're going to be with people and if you're at the right company, you're with people at the top of their game, right? At at the highest levels and just knowing, owning sort of what you are, what your strengths are, but coupling that with sort of a certain level of humility and a certain level of curiosity to say, and, and if you notice, like if you ever have a call with someone who has no idea what they're talking about and they're sort of abrasive about it. Like, have you know, have you ever been on a call with somebody who's like angry at you because they don't understand and, and, but, and how different it is when you have a call with someone who's like, look, I don't know, but I want to learn. Can you explain this to me? Like I, I actually, and not because I want to learn so I can be right. I want to learn because I, I have an interest in what you do and I, I find it interesting and I want to learn. And so the best executives that I've worked with are like that. They may have a ton more experience than I do more seniority, more everything, more knowledge of the business, but they recognize that they are not a lawyer and they don't know about this particular issue. They don't look at this issue in the same way. And the best executives I've met are like, AP, explain to me why why you think this is a, a good approach for us in general and why this is a good idea. And then when you meet them in the future, they're like, you know, based on the things you've told me in the past, this is what I think we should do. And I've learned from you. And so, you know, for me, it's like, if I have, to me, I see that as a sign of good leadership. And if I'm working with a good leader, I'm working with somebody who feels they have, he or she has something to learn from everyone. And I have something to bring to the table always. Everybody does. And so I think humility is huge alongside that confidence and sort of feeling comfortable in your own skin to recognize that, you know, I am successful. And, and the other thing is, is like, and and my kids are very young, so they're not going to understand this yet. But like, if, I think when I have school age children, this is what I would tell them is, not only do I believe in you and not only should you believe in you, but there are objective metrics that have believed in you. You've entered schools, you've graduated, you've passed exams, you've gotten good grades on exams. Yes, you've had bad ones, but you've had good ones. And so on top of the fact that you should just believe in yourself for the sake of believing yourself, there are these objective institutions that have believed in you. And who are you to tell them they're wrong? So like, if ever there's somebody with imposter syndrome, and I talk to a lot of law students, I say, do you think this law school would have admitted you if they thought you were a complete failure? No, because it's going to make them look bad, right? So they wouldn't have admitted you. So they believe in you. Their objective measures. The system believes in you. So suck it up, buttercup, and move forward. You can do this, and you just need to. You're holding yourself back by not believing in yourself. So, um, so yeah, so just like not being bashful. I think culturally, I'm half Cuban. 
And we have a very sort of gritty entrepreneurial spirit. And like uh, in, in Spanish, we say espíritu de superación, like a spirit of advancement, of moving forward. Like it's, you know, it's a people that has, that have had to, Cubans are people that have had to move forward consistently and continuously against all odds. And so I have a little bit of that in me where I just kind of like, I just keep going. I just keep chugging along and like, I don't really care. I have setbacks, but I just keep it, keep it moving forward. And it's hard. I'm melodramatic like the rest. And I, you know, I feel things in a big way and um, I'm a lawyer. So, you know, sometimes things seem like very, very serious and But overall, on the macro scale, I feel like my story is one of progress and of constant inertia and moving forward. And I think a lot of that is, again, just like that grit, that resilience, that fearlessness, that, you know, just like who cares, we're moving forward type thing. And you need that to be successful in life. It triggered a memory for me when you talked about the power of I don't know and not faking like you know something. It, I was early in, in my career as a seller and I was working with clients all the time and I got a meeting with a pretty big client that I'd been waiting to get. And I was talking to someone who was double my age and he started talking to me about college basketball, which I love. That is a huge passion of mine. I've grown up around it. I've had more arguments about college basketball than I care to admit. And it was very obvious that he had no idea what he was talking about. Right. We're just sitting there building rapport, but he, he heard that I you know, liked basketball. So, you know, he was trying to build rapport with me, but it was very obvious that he didn't follow it at all. Like getting facts wrong. It wasn't just opinions were different than mine. It was actual facts were just mm -hmm. out of left field. And I remember going back and talking to my dad after who had been in sales management and executive for a long time in his career. And I told him about that experience. And he said, you know, Clay, you got to remember that for when someone ask you about something, if you are aware of something, if you know something and how you felt in that moment when you realized that the person in front of you had no idea what they were talking about and they were just, you know, you, you couldn't believe them. So just remember and say, I don't know, but tell me about it, right? Be curious about it. Help them, let, let them share their knowledge and just remember that. And that has always stuck with me as, as no. innocuous as a thing was about you know, college basketball. It was, it's, it has stuck with me to this day to just be like, I, Yeah, I don't know, but I would love to hear what you know about it. Right. It could, well, and it speaks to someone's credibility, right? Um, and and you know, I think and and authenticity, right? And you never know. Like sometimes people do it because they just want to impress someone, and you know, I get that. But you know, it also reminds me of another sort of huge thing for me as you know my leadership style and just like in general what I give people advice on is emotional intelligence like how hugely important that is to to understanding people and to making things happen and being successful is like emotional intelligence and knowing for example oh I'm scared I don't want to show I don't want to reveal in this conversation I don't know anything about basketball but like Instead saying, yeah, but this person really loves basketball and is probably more than happy to talk about basketball. So how about I ask questions about basketball, which is going to be flattering to this person and then thank them profusely for having told me and blown my mind and like enlightened me about basketball. And like, if you understand people, you understand people like to talk about the things they love and they even more like to be seen as an expert in something that they love. And so having that emotional intelligence to say, I'm going to flip the script and yes, I'm clueless, but I'm going to listen to this person pontificate about basketball, golf, whatever it is. And, you know, there's a measure of sort of ego stroking there, but it works. And again, it goes back to like understanding how people tick and just being curious and interested versus being busy trying to impress someone or not seem like I'm dumb. Right. 
And, and that's, that can be hard to do, especially when you're young in your career, surrounded by people that are double, sometimes triple your age, depending on what you have going on. And, um, you know, 12 X the experience and all that, it, it can be hard to tell yourself to have that confidence that obviously that you've had throughout your career because of a lot of, uh, you know, where you come from and what you've done in your life, uh, to have the confidence to be like, no, it's okay. I don't care what they think of this 24 year old, right? Cause I know I'm doing the best I can. And yeah. if someone's going to judge me for how I'm approaching something, then that's not anything I can really control. I can't control how another person thinks, but I can control what I'm doing. Yeah. And I think the other thing is too, to realize like quantity over quality isn't always the case because, you know, somebody could have a ton of years of experience on you, but that can sometimes be a detriment because they're unwilling to see things a certain way, or, you know, they have a ton of experience, but only in one thing. And you bring this other sort of multidimensional perspective to an issue. And so, um, there's a role for everyone, you know, I think especially at this point in my career, it's like a sweet spot because I am, you know, relatively senior, but I'm not like, you know, 30 years of experience, but I'm senior enough to know what I know and know it well. And everything else is just a complement to that experience and to that ability and to that skill, right? You, the, the years are important because you're facing new challenges, you're dealing with new things and um, it's iterative. But at the same time, it's not like I'm a year out of law school where you truly are like a deer in the headlights and, you know, you really don't have a ton of experience. But again, and I talk about this a lot when I when I when I do work in sort of the DNI space. Um, I always say like everybody is diverse. Everybody brings a unique perspective. It doesn't matter where they're from or what language they speak or what they look like. You can unpack everyone to find something that brings a unique perspective if they're willing to share it and if they're willing to be vulnerable and if they're if they're willing to play ball, so to speak. Everybody is unique and everybody is diverse. Um, and so I think that's important to keep in mind in hiring when you um, when you bring teams together to solve problems. I think you have to bring people from different walks of life and then you have to allow yourself to kind of live these different experiences so you can kind of um, complement whatever whatever you already have. Right. Yeah, it's this diversity of thought. You bring a bunch of people in the yeah. room and you have diversity of thought because of the backgrounds and experiences, yeah. failures, successes that all these people have had. And no matter what they've looked like, what they look like, where they're from, everyone exactly. has a diversity of thought in that. Exactly. Um, and lack of experience is a diversity of thought yes. because you're not marred by years of this is how we do this. This is how we do this. You maybe you bring a completely fresh perspective. And so giving everyone their due and, and going back to like Scandinavian, like that's what I love about the Scandinavian cultures. Like my understanding is they're relatively flat organizations and they're very sort of egalitarian. Like everybody plays a role. Everybody's at the same level. It isn't like I'm a this VP or that VP or an S or an E or a C or whatever, which we're in some cases we're very, you know, um, worked up about here. Like in Scandinavia, it's relatively flat organizational structures. And I think you can sort of unleash the power that everyone has individually a lot more because you're not so busy saying like, stay in your lane, stay at your level um, and overriding people's thoughts and contributions. Yeah. This whole conversation has got, has had me thinking about um, Stephen Covey's book, the seven habits of highly effective people. And mm -hmm. one of those habits is seek to understand yes. and then be, and then seek to be understood. But it's very important to do it in that order. And this is, it seems like how you've lived your life and how you've gone about your relationships. I try to. I try to. I'm guilty of assumptions like everyone else. I'm guilty of um, 
wanting to be heard. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, my job is one in which I advise people and you get very comfortable advising people. But again, then I bring in my curiosity. Like, yes, I'm here because people find what I have to say interesting, or they're looking for my guidance in some way and my advice in some way, but also I need to be constantly learning so I can provide good advice um, and advice that is timely and, and accurate in the, in the environment that's constantly and rapidly changing. How has mentorship impacted your career so far? Man, I mean, my career in my in my opinion is based is based is built on my mentors. Um, you know, I have sort of every step along the journey, kind of zeroed in on people that I thought had a lot to contribute to me, and more so, like to, like my perspective on mentorship is like you you shouldn't be asking people to do things for you. Um, a mentor isn't somebody that you're calling to like make something happen for you. A mentor is someone who's there to give you directions as things are happening for you. Um, and they can kind of GPS you to the right way. Um, but you are opening those doors, you're opening, um, those opportunities and then they're helping you kind of get to the next rung. But a hundred percent, my career is like, I would attribute like 80% of it to opportunities that people, um, laid out or, 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 you know, supported me with. And I think the other thing is I've had mentors that have been so longstanding that they now feel invested in my success. And, you know, it's so funny because now a lot of times they're peers, you know, now I'm, I've kind of hit a certain point where like we're peers, we're at the same meetings, we're on the same panels and they show up for me still, they still show up. And I think because they see me and they say like, I was a part of her success, you know, and I'm proud. This is something I've built too. This is not like just a per, another person. It's like a, a part of, you know, I've, I've helped build this success. So that's been huge for me. Um, I think I've picked every single job for the person I can work for, you know, not for the company, but like, who am I going to be working for? And what can I learn from this person? Um, and what secret sauce has this person found, achieved, honed, perfected that, um, that makes, you know, makes, makes me a better professional. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's really how I've, how I've looked at it. And, and it's been a huge part of what I do. And now I'm in a position where I can mentor other people. And, you know, for me, it's just like what I, what I try to do is just be as generous as possible with my time. You know, generosity of time is, is big because I remember 100%. I remember people being generous with me, um, with their time. So I'm, I'm still very much that way. And, um, funny enough, like I was at a conference the other day with, um, and I was, I, I had, I had done a, like a fireside chat and I met this other lawyer who was in the tech space and, you know, she's had a very long career over 30 years and we just sat and chatted about life. And I'm sure this woman would never say that she's my mentor, but in that moment, she mentored me, you know, in that moment I learned from her experience and she was generous enough to spend the time talking to me. And that in my mind is a mentor too. Um, it doesn't have to be like this person you meet for coffee every third Thursday of every month. Like that sort of is not very organic and is kind of how we try to, we build these programs to do these things. But like, to me, that's not how it's done. It's more just like, you know, people willing to share experiences and insight with you or helping you with a challenge or decision you have to make in your career. Yeah. And that's when a mentor can really make an impact is when you are at a crossroads and a crossroads can have a negative connotation, but just at a point in your life where fork on the road, which right. way am I going to go? And and getting that guidance and relying on their expertise is huge. Two things I want to dive in a little bit deeper based on what you just said. 
The first is around mentorship and how, if, if you envision yourself as a 25 year old again and thinking about how am I going to go and reach out to this person or what are the things I should be thinking about while I'm having this conversation or how should I follow up? Just thinking about the process of, of mentorship and the guidance that you would give to someone that maybe is in that position. So that, that's the first thing. And just the second thing, just so I can tee it up so it's there, is you made a very interesting comment that you don't necessarily pick the the role you don't for your career. You don't pick the role. You don't necessarily pick the company. You pick the person that you're going to work for. I want to dive a little bit more into that too. But first, let's let's jump into the mentorship thing and like just what comes to mind around process in selecting a mentor, going about the process of having a mentor, what comes to mind there from advice standpoint? Um, I mean, like selecting a mentor, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I think you just kind of throw what you can at the wall and see what sticks kind of thing, because, you know, there may be people that you look at and you're like, wow, this is like the career I want, but they're not accessible. Like they are not somebody that you can talk to often or that you can be influenced by because you just can't interact with them because you're so busy. And that to me is not an effective mentor, even though maybe it is the most like successful person in that thing that you want to do. Instead, again, I think it's people who know themselves really well, know you really well. I think also some of the people who make the best mentors are people who've made mistakes along the way. And I'm, you know, I know there's kind of two types of toddlers, the type that you can tell them not to touch the stove and they won't touch the stove. And then there's the person that there's the toddler that you, you know, will touch the stove, even if you tell them not to touch the stove because they need to experience it for themselves. I'm the one that like, if you tell me not to touch the stove, I don't touch the stove. And so for me, mentors who can tell me like, look in your shoes, this is what I should have done. I listen to that. And so I think for me, it's like, I don't necessarily look for a specific person or a specific job. I say to myself, like, what are the challenges I'm facing in my career right now? And who are the people that can help me and provide me with insight that's timely and makes sense? You know, the second thing is, is, is not enough people invest in the longevity of mentorship. So a lot of people get to a company and say, all right, I need a mentor. Let me pick this person. This is like, I'm going to have a meeting every week. And that doesn't work. To me, it's how do I establish a relationship with this person, a friendship? And along the way, every time I hit a milestone in my career, I'm going to keep this person updated. Whether or not they respond, I'm still going to keep them updated. But then if I need something or I have a, a, you know, a challenge, I'm going to call them as well. And not enough people do that. You know, I talk to a lot of law students who will be like, how'd you get into compliance law? Or how'd you get into like the tech space and legal? And they'll have a conversation with me and they'll be like, great, thank you so much. Do you mind looking at, you know, my resume or my cover letter? Give me any feedback. Great. And then I never hear from them again. And it's like, what a waste. Like you, there's so much you could have, you could have tapped into there because I would have kind of, I would have sat in the passenger seat along for the ride. I want to know what, what comes, what becomes of you. Right. And so I've been that way. And some mentors are like annoyed and like, you know, or potential mentors are like, I don't really care. And they don't respond and they don't, you know, you can see that they just, there's no space for them to, to do that. And some will love hearing updates. And again, eventually will be like flattered and feel like they're a part of your success. Right. And they'll be like, remember we talked about that and now you're wherever. So, you know, I think the other big thing is like seasons of life. So for me now, like I'm really focused on women who, kind of the insight that I need now is like women who have successfully balanced it all, who have navigated complex challenges along the backdrop of like really intense personal responsibilities as well. 
And so that's different than when I was younger in my career, when I was like, I just want to like talk to like the best like lawyers in their field and like whatever. I don't really care what their background is. I just want to know about like their jobs. And I'm looking now more at like, I want to understand entire people, whole people that have lots of different facets of their life. And what, what can they share with me? What insight and wisdom can they share with me? So I told you I was long winded. So, hey, and, and by the way, uh, when a waiter comes up and says, Hey, this plate is hot. You shouldn't touch it. I 100% touch it every time. <laughs> you then, then you're like an experiential learner. You need to right. like feel things to learn them. And that that's, that's there, you know, everybody's different. Okay. And then on that second piece, talk a little bit more, like, tell me why, why it's so important to pick the person you work for versus necessarily the company or the role. Yeah. So look, it's a gamble because as you, as you get further in your career, you realize like you may take a job and then you get reassigned and you don't even have the same boss that you had when you took the job. And like, so it's a risk, but, um, for me, it's realizing like who can have the greatest impact on your day to day and on your growth professionally is really not the company. It's the, it's the leader. It's the manager that you have or the leader of your organization. Like maybe it's not your direct manager, but it's like your leadership. And so for me, it's like, what, what does this person have that I don't have that I can learn? Or is this person willing to give me challenges and give me a shot? And almost invariably, every job I've taken has been a job that like I had a gap or I didn't have enough years or I was missing this one piece of it. But that person saw promise in me and saw talent and said, you know what? She's going to figure it out. She'll be fine. And invariably, I've succeeded. I've been able to like fill in that gap during the job. I've taken the opportunity and run with it. And so I think openness, not being jealous with your time, a boss who's willing to like speak to you as a person, get to know you as a person, like take an interest in your success, not afraid for you to outperform them. So like, and then the other thing is, is like somebody who loves their craft. I love people who love what they do, not for political reasons, not because it's remunerative and because they're just there to make a certain amount of money, but people who like just love what they do. And I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, you know how cool is it that like we go to these conferences and it's like other little people, like it's like little Lego people that do the same thing. Like here's the bricklayer and here's the, this person. And here's like the person who works on the boat and like we're little trades. And to me, it's like, man, I'm like a kid in a candy shop. Like I wouldn't have dreamed this. Like I go to conferences with other lawyers who do exactly what I do and who love it, you know, and we love to talk about what we do. And so my bosses that I've had are similarly like happy with what they do and aren't miserable people. And as a result, see what they do is sort of, I don't want to call it an art form. That's an overstatement, but they see what they do is like a, a good, cool contribution to like the corporate ecosystem. And so that joy, that joy that people experience from doing their jobs is, is, is contagious. And so um, I'm not going to tell you we're not like frustrated and challenged and like we roll our eyes a lot and we do, but it's people who generally like what they do and are, and as a result, love to teach about it, love to learn about it, love to help you grow in it because they like what they do. They know they're going to grow. They know they're going to move on and they want there to be, they, they want a pipeline for themselves. So those are the kinds of people I want to work for because that's going to only help me succeed as well. Uh, so I'm thinking about an interview process. You're, you're changing jobs in some form or fashion, internally or externally. And you're trying to understand who this person is to, to find out, are they the type of person that you just went through? But at the same time, you're also trying to convince them that you are the right person for the role. So how do you go about unearthing some of those things throughout an interview process to know that 
sure, the company may be great, the role is great, but I want to know you. Are you great? Are you the right person? That are you the person I want to work for? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you ha- you kind of have to have a good spidey sense in the interview process. Um, you know, maybe they've done a podcast and you can Google them and listen to them talk. But um, I think you know, if it, depending on the industry, you know, kind of what their general reputation is. Um, if they've written anything, you can kind of get a sense of their voice. You know, one like trick, and I probably shouldn't share this on the podcast, but I will, is like, look at their LinkedIn activity. What are the kinds of articles they like on LinkedIn? Um, What kinds of posts do they share? When people leave the company, do they leave a positive comment on the wall to say it was wonderful working with you? You know, look at those things because that'll tell you, and I know not everyone's active on LinkedIn, so I'm not saying this is like the measure of every person, but it can be telling. Um, And then, yeah, how people treat you in an interview is huge, I think. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, when when you get good enough at your job and you're in, in a specific kind of space, you, you, people have a reputation and you kind of do your research and you get to know them. But, but in some cases you're taking a leap, leap of faith and it's a mutual leap of, pay, of faith. And you have to think to yourself, like, if this person's hiring me, it's because they think I'm great and they must have great taste. So that's already like a, that's already a plus, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I look at those things. I, I definitely look at, at, at people who are whole people. Like, is this somebody who's like, to, you know, when we, when we're interviewing, we go to lunch and I learn about this person and their family and what's important to them personally as a person, not just like as a, a VP of whatever, or a CFO of whatever, you know, it's a person who goes home and has a life and, and right, they're just a, a human being. They're a human being. And is it the kind of human being you want to interact with on a daily basis and a human being that, you know, um, is somebody you want to be dealing with on your best day and on your worst day, right? Because like your work family is like, you know, you're with them a lot. So you got to, you got to really kind of think about that because they can have a great impact on your experience as a person. You said work family, obviously you got your work family and you got your home family Mm -hmm. and your home family has grown over the last couple of years. You have two kids. I have two kids. Yes. My two, two boys, two boys. How has this changed your priority and your view of your career? It's been interesting. I think not in the ways that you would think. Um, but, um, you know, I had my first, literally the month of COVID, like the whole thing, locked, the world locked down. So in April of 2020, so it was super interesting. Um, the other thing is I had had a f- almost fully remote career until I joined, um, the company I'm at now and, but then was in an office and that had been an interesting change for me. And I had moved, you know, um, from Miami, I had left to take this role on and then we all went home again because it was COVID. And so everybody went remote. And so it was so weird because here I am, like, I was like going and traveling and doing all these things. And all of a sudden I have a baby and the world is shut down. So that was already like a really radical thing that happened, like a big bang that happened right then and there. Um, and then kind of there was a new normal. And then I had my second, he's, um, he's 10 months. So, you know, I, I'll tell you, I don't think it's changed any of my aspirations or anything that I would say yes to. So I don't think it's changed um, the way I view opportunities um, necessarily or, or the way I seek opportunities. But it certainly made me value things I didn't think I would value. Um, so it, you know, it creates a natural risk aversion. You value safety. So where you may have wanted to be in a more fast-paced environment and kind of bounced around, and maybe you want to relocate for a couple of years, you know, you value 
a steady sort of institutional warm hug of like, you know, feeling safe somewhere, I think um, as safe as anyone can feel right in a corporate environment. So I think you, you value those things. I think you value empathy so much more. So you value people who understand like that there's, that you've got more going on than what's on your outlook calendar. Um, so I think, I think th- that's the biggest, th- those are some of the biggest ways it's changed the way I, I I will tell you, it's given me incredible empathy, empathy that I didn't even have before. Right. Like when somebody's faced with a challenge, like, like I'll give you an example, like somebody will send me something at like 7 PM and be like, it's an emergency. Can you get it done by tomorrow? And you would think, right. That I'd be like, how inconsiderate, don't you know, I have kids and blah, blah, blah. But I, I think about it differently. I think about like what happened in this person's life to cause this, like, I mean, yes, it could be poor planning, but also like maybe this person faced a really hard day or has like a lot of family stuff going on. And like, let me just give them the benefit of the doubt. And I, if I can help, I'm going to help, you know? And I wouldn't have thought that way before, before I would have been like, well, your poor planning is not my emergency. And like, you know, but, um, but no, I, I, I just am so much more empathetic now. And like, don't worry about it. Like, or somebody who cancels a meeting last night and is like, I'm so sorry, I'm out sick or my kid's sick or whatever, you know, whereas before I think I wouldn't have understood it the same way I understand it now, um, where everybody's just like kind of trying to like manage these two really difficult jobs. And I don't know, just having more grace, honestly, it gave me a lot more grace, which, You'd think with the sleep deprivation and just being exhausted that like it'd be the opposite. I'd be grumpier and like more annoyed with the whole world, but I'm not. I think I have a lot more empathy and a lot more grace with other people. Um, And then the last thing is it's made me a lot more, and this is not really related to my career, but it's made me a lot more interested in issues that I didn't care about before. So like I care a lot more and I read up a lot more on education and like the state of education um, in this country. And it's like not a political statement, just generally I'm interested in that like body of research just everything, the medical system, like just all these things I didn't care about before um, that I care about now because they impact me and because I, I learn about it more. Right. So if you would have asked me five years ago, like, what do you think about like being a teacher um, in this day and age? I would have been like, I don't know. And I don't care. But now I care so much and read about it so much and admire professionals in these in these spaces so much than I than I, I just didn't have an appreciation for what what it, what the role was. Um, but now I do. So I was, it's funny, I was on a panel also recently about this and we talked about sort of the, the role of caretaking in this country and how critical it is to the success of every parent, men and female parents. Um, and so anyway, super like digressing, but it's, it's definitely changed the way I look at things, but I wouldn't say necessarily tied to my job or my career, but more so just like as a whole person, it's really changed my perspective. That's an interesting perspective that you would go more empathetic. Like I definitely have more empathy, but I don't think my default, I think I could be better about having my default emotion to be understanding, right? Or grace. Yeah. And I will tell you that like, initially I don't like, you know, kind of snap a little inside, but then I kind of think to myself, you know, cause what it is, is like, I, I think early in my career when I was really young, I felt very much like infallible. Like I felt like I can't make any mistakes and I work really hard and I focus every ounce of every energy and every cell of my body and not making a mistake and making sure everything's perfect. And I was super type A and extremely hardworking. And if there was ever a choice to be made between life and work, it was always work. And so I couldn't conceive that there would be other people that wouldn't similarly prioritize every little piece and shred of work. And what I've realized as I've gotten older is that work is work and your professionalism in your career is, is sort of a bigger picture. 
And not prioritizing one little email or one little project doesn't mean you don't prioritize your career. Um, and I am by no means saying that you should drop the ball on anything, you know, because we're still in, in jobs and in careers that are very demanding and, and, and that there isn't a lot of room for mistakes. But what I mean is like when someone else maybe drops the ball, it's like, I got you because I know it's possible that someday I may and I want you to have my back too. Right. And, 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 and also people are more comfortable. I don't know if it's my imagination, but now that I'm a mom, I feel like people are more comfortable being vulnerable with me where they'll be like, Hey P like, I know I'm so sorry. I should have sent this to last week. I completely forgot. Like, I get it. Like I get it. If you can't get to it, but like, it would really help me. I'm in a bind. I am so much more willing to be like, it's okay. I'll, I'll do it. Like I'll make it work. I'll make it happen for you. Um, whereas before I think, I would have been like, how could this person not be as committed as I am to like make sure this was done like three weeks ago, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's a symptom of being young and like feeling like, you know, you're, you're like, you're well, so it, perfect, it, but you're the not. Conversa- <laughs> the conversation reminds me of, you know, you're driving and someone cuts you off mm-hmm. and, and you're you appalled. Have, you have an option. You can just, you can like overreact and lay on the horn or whatever. Yeah. And I, I have th- my default state for the most part has now been, you know what? Maybe they just had a really bad day. Maybe they had no idea I was there. Maybe they're just lost in thought because they just got fired from a job. Or they're, or they're super late to something. And- right, or they're super late to something. They're rushing to the hospital. I have no idea. I mean, it, or it could just be that they're just a complete jerk. Yes, I, which I, also I, happens. Yes. Yeah, which also happens. But that default state, it's amazing just kind of accepting that, oh, you know what? Like, I'm just going to uh, make the assumption and give them grace how much better I feel <laughs> because I don't work myself up because some other person did something that I had no control over. Correct. Yep. yep. And so it can be applied to many things, not just emails at 7 PM. Yeah. Uh, very, very cool. And I love the perspective and I, I, it's really great that you're finding that harmony amongst life and work and the, you know, having your kids still be a huge priority for you, but not letting it divert your attention from being able to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish in your life uh, from a work standpoint as well. And I think that yeah. that's a tough harmonization to find. Very difficult. Dep- deprivation. Yeah. But it seems like you're doing it. I'm definitely trying. It's very hard. It is a, it's a definite identity crisis. It's very hard. Um, you know, I'm somebody who have felt very much defined by my job, um, by design. Like I just, I like anybody that knew me was like, oh, AP, yeah, she's a lawyer. Like she's always wanted to be a lawyer ever since she was little. Like she's a lawyer who talks about being a lawyer, who reads about being a lawyer, who likes being a lawyer. And it's rare, right? Um, but I love it. I like love reading about it. I love meeting other lawyers. And most people are like, oh, like I, uh, like another group of lawyers. But like, I like it. I, I'm not a miserable lawyer. Like I'm happy doing what I do. If I had to do it all over again, I would probably still go to law school. And, um, but it's been really hard because it's like, you start to question, like, you know, I see like parenthood and I don't even say motherhood because I really think it's being a father's the same way. I see parenthood as a job too. And I think to myself, like both jobs deserve my everything one, because it's the most important job in the world. And the other, because I'm, they're paying me to do a good job. And so it's so hard. It's so hard. You're constantly making these decisions of like, is this important? Is this going to leave a lasting impact? Is this going to traumatize this kid? Or is this going to like mess up this thing at work? You know, and you're constantly juggling and you're constantly questioning, like, you know, am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Am I doing too much? Am I, you know, and it's just crazy. And modern parenthood is even crazier. Just 
the pressures and the access to information and the expectations and the lack of support is soul crushing. But I think, you know, the way I've always kind of reined it in is by saying like, this is also a job. This is also a career for me. It's my job to be a mom to these boys and to raise good men, which the world definitely needs more of. And I look at it that way. And so I approach it exactly how I do work in many ways. I research, I read a lot. I um, try to understand. I try to communicate. I try to give the benefit of the doubt. Um, I have standards, you know, just like I do at work. Um, and you try to be collaborative. Um, and in many ways, I'm typically like diffusing situations or troubleshooting situations in a very similar way. Like, you know, like angry toddler, angry, like work person, like very similar in some ways. Um, so they're transferable skills for sure. But, but it's tough. It is really tough, especially because we're still not in a place where it's equal in that a lot of moms dropped out of the workforce in COVID. And you don't, you didn't see that at the same rate with dads. Right. And so when you're a mom and you look around and you're like, okay, well, these other moms like go to mommy and me every day with their kid. And you know, it's just a different level of access than me. I'm on zoom all day. Like, you know, they, they see me at five or six when I get out and you know, yes, I'm here, but it's almost like, it's like if I was in an office, they're not seeing me. And you think to yourself, like, is that the right thing? Like, I have this job. I'm supposed to be their mom. Like, I, I, but you know, you got to do the job the way you think is the right way to do the job for you. So um, that's kind of what I try to like think about and remind myself of. But but it's definitely tough. It really is very tough, yeah, and you can't really prepare for it. I got a couple additional questions for you. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, habit? has most improved your life? Hmm. I think, what new, um, you know, one thing, I don't know that it's like that new, but I've gotten really good about every night. Like I'm a super anxious person. So like I, I would stress out about like, okay, the next day, whatever, what I do and probably not the healthiest boundaries, but every night I check my outlook for the next day. I look at my calendar Um, I know executives who print out their schedule for the next day. I don't print it out, but I do look at it. um, And I make sort of a note of like, is there anything that I need to prepare? Is there anything I can leave for tomorrow? Is there anything that's super urgent? And, and then I can kind of leave it there in that, in that space. And I can like go to sleep and have peace that like, I've done what I needed to do rather than say, oh, I got to get up early to like do the mental checklist. And that's a little different because now I have kids. So the mornings used to be my own. I used to like be able to like wake up and like slow morning and like do this and make my coffee. And as I'm making my coffee, read up my emails. Like, no, it's like you wake up and it's war. You know, it's like, you know, you're just literally like, come on, troops, gather like reinforcements, grab the thing, like oil the bus. Like, it's just crazy. Right. And, um, and so that's what I kind of do at night when I'm like in a good space, I kind of just do that. And like, it relaxes my brain to say like, all right, we're good. We know what's coming tomorrow. Um, so that's one habit. And then I think the other, it's not a habit, but it's like a thing that I've started to like, like learn to do more is like the art of diplomacy, which has always been hard for me, but I've become much more diplomatic in my, um, in my older age in that I realize that like having conflicts and like long running conflicts, conflicts serve no one. And part of it is like, I'm always really big on like, well, I'm right. Like there's more merit to my argument than to yours, but realizing that like, so what? Like it's better to just keep the peace in many cases because you just don't know. And it's just like corporate America. Like 
you, you know, burning a bridge in corporate America is terrible because the likelihood you'll have to circle back and ask this person for someone is for something is so high that like you can't stand on principle. You're not, you can't be like, but this person is like terrible and they've backstabbed me and they've double crossed me and like what insert like Disney villain movie. And it's like, yeah, but like, you're going to have to deal with them again. So there's sort of that political aspect to it, but it's not even politics. It's honestly just like eliminating like, like environmental toxin from your like life of like saying like, I just want to hold on to this. Like, who cares? Like nothing is that serious, which is hard because I'm a super like, opinionated like dogmatic like I believe what I believe person I have like my principles and like you just kind of can't take yourself so seriously and so I don't know maybe it's like a choosing your battles thing I'm like doing a terrible job answering your question but my you know but like not holding on to grudges and not like not being so obsessive about like right or wrong at a certain given point it's not worth the energy no, and it's just like, it's all cyclical and it's all relative. And somebody may do something wrong at one point and then they're generally an okay person, but they kind of drop the ball there. So just realizing it's like playing the long game. Like I've gotten a lot bigger on playing the long game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the book or books you've given most as a gift? And why? <sighs> hmm. Oh, wow. Um, there's a book called Crib Sheet that I've given to a lot of new parents moms and dads. It's about the role like statistics play in parenting and all these things we're scared of that are actually not, shouldn't be scary because they're based on old or incorrect data. Um, so again, kind of that, that theme that, that I was explaining to you around like m- approaching parenting is like, it's a job of sorts and making it a bit more um, professionalizing it, right. Being a parent, professionalizing parenting that's the only way I can survive. Right. Because I'm not like, I'm not like a garden gnome with like fairies, like living in parenting bliss. Like I've got like this job and like this house to run and it feels very corporate. Like my house feels very much like we're running a business and that's how I stay sane. Um, so that book is really good because it it talks about like, you know, a lot of these fears that we have are based on science that is not accurate or data. And it's written by an economist who became a mom who, um, also has a really great blog. So I, I super recommend it, but I'd say that one, um, is one of the biggest, uh, books that I've gifted. Yeah. I don't have to check that out. I'm going to see what that one's all about. Cause yeah, we have a lot of friends and family members that are in that phase of life. Well, AP, thank you. Thank you for having insight. me. It's so lovely oh, to meet you. Great. I probably would have never gotten to talk to you for this long if you hadn't invited me like otherwise. So it's, yeah. it's a great way to get to know you. Really, really fun. I greatly appreciate your time, your vulnerability, and just uh, want to thank you for being on. So today we built with AP. AP, thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me, Claire. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.